Good morning, Grace Bible. Hey, glad you guys are here. Um, just want to go through a few uh, announcements real quick before we jump into uh, our sermon and also uh, some activities that will follow that. Um, just want to let you know that there are several ways that you can get information at Grace. Uh, we send out a weekly email that has basically all the updated information, changes that are going on. And so if you would like to be a part of that and uh, you are not, um, we should have a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center. If not, we will get one before the service is over. Right, Gary Dodd? You can take care of that, right? <laughs> um, so that's one. In fact, I would say that's probably our primary way of information flow. Um, in addition to that, though, everything that we send out every week in the email is uh, at the Welcome Center in hard copy. So if you like to have something in your hands, you want to know what's going on, this sheet is there every week. And so it has the list of annou- announcements, prayer requests, all sorts of information as well. You can check out our website, gbcsystempark.org, um, is a helpful resource as well. So just a few things up and coming. Number one, uh, men's fraternity is back. And so men, uh, this is a men's group that's just for you. We talk about men kind of issues, and this semester we're really going to be focusing on what is biblical manhood. And so it starts at 5.30 a.m. Monday mornings. Yes, a.m. Monday mornings. But once we get up and awake and we, ha- we have a cup of coffee or two, everybody's alert, and uh, it's a DVD-based curriculum, and it's, it's just excellent. It's been really good. So I encourage you guys to do that. We'll start on the 12th of September. In addition to that, we do have a new Dinner for Six sign-up sheet at the back. Dinner for Six is basically a way that we want our people to get to know one another. And so uh, some of you have been in groups that haven't met yet. Keep working on it before the new time starts up so that you can at least say you got one in under your belt. Uh, But we encourage you to do that if you want a new group for, I guess it starts, Barb, can you help me out? When does it start? Then it would start in September? Okay, starting in September. So uh, sign up for that. Really encourage you to do that. Uh, as well, Peace Meals is this month for Grace Bible Church. We're delivering meals uh, to basically uh, those who are elderly in our community, in their homes. And it's a really good ministry. Uh, it only takes about an hour, maybe an hour and a half to do. Let me know if you're interested in that. Um, as well, Leanne Kaufman would like us to know that she would love some Sunday school help. She teaches the, I think, sec- two to five-year-olds. Is that right? two to five-year-olds, um, and so you can talk with her about more maybe what she'd be interested in, but probably just a substitute she can count on, and even really if you're gung-ho about it, maybe form a rotation. So I'll direct I'll du- direct you to her <laughs> as to what she would like. So um, other things going on, I, uh, you know, check out our information and our website and those kind of things. So uh, with that being said, we're going to jump right in this morning uh, to our sermon, part 13, and uh, this morning, wonderful, yeah, absolutely. That is indeed a reason to rejoice. Thanks, Kathy. Oh, wow. Double reason to rejoice. Uh, let's do this. Let's pray, and uh, we'll jump into our very last sermon on our summer series called The Idol Factory, Part 13, uh, Destroying Idols. So let's do that. Let's pray, and we'll jump in. Father, thanks so much for a great morning. Thanks that we can rejoice and sing uh, with gladness in our hearts to you. Thank you for all that you've done uh, in our lives. Uh, and most certainly, we thank you for what you've done through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that though we were alien and foreign to you, though we were sinners uh, bent on rebellion and living for ourselves, you indeed looked down upon us in love, and you sent your very Son, your perfect Son, and he took on flesh uh, so that he could be our substitute, so that he could live a life of perfect obedience to you that we could never live, and that he would die a death uh, taking your wrath in our place that we certainly deserved, uh, being resurrected from the dead, defeating death and sin and Satan so that we can have new lives, that we can be born again, that we can be filled by the Spirit to live in obedience to your commands and, and a joy, purpose-filled life. Thank you for the good news of your Son and all of the other things that we have to rejoice in this morning. Spirit, we ask that you would be among us. Please help us. Speak through me. Uh, may my words be true and accurate and powerful into our hearts and lives. I pray that as your word 
word goes forth that it would find um, soft hearts and not hardened hearts. And that, Father, finally, as we begin to think about destroying the idols that <clears throat> plague our lives so often, I pray that you would help us to identify our idols, help us to replace our idols with your Son, Jesus Christ, who indeed is our God. He is a trustworthy Savior. He is a, he's a good a king, and he is indeed uh, one who meets all of our needs. He is our greatest love. And so we thank you for him, and we ask it in his name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn uh, with me this morning to the book of Second Kings. We're going to be in the Old Testament, and so grab your Bibles and flip to uh, the historical books. You have, of course, First Kings, and then we will find ourselves in the book of Second Kings, chapter 22. Uh, if you would like to grab a pew Bible, there should be one periodically in front of you, and uh, that will be on page 312. Uh, 312, Second Kings chapter 22, and we will actually be looking both at chapters 22 and 23 this morning as we talk about destroying our idols. Uh, as uh, you probably well know, if you've been here at all this summer, we've been on a 13-part uh, journey talking about idolatry and what it is. And this will be somewhat of a review. Uh, in addition, hopefully it will be not just a review, but helpful in uh, in the way of helping us destroy our idols. And so I want to begin this morning uh, by telling you a brief story, a personal story about destruction. As I began to think about destroying things, as King Josiah will go about destroying literally and physically the idols that plagued uh, the land of Israel during his time, I thought of this story of personal destruction uh, in my life. And uh, it's, not, uh, it's not one where I'm painted to look really good. And so uh, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be embarrassed before you. But when I was 18 years old, and this actually, ironically, is a story of me destroying, physically destroying something that had become an idol in my life, although at that time I certainly did not see it as such. When I was 18 years old, actually check that, when I was 17 years old, as many of you probably know, uh, one of my very good friends of mine uh, entered the science fair. Okay, nerd alert, right? Here we go. (laughs) Nerd alert, science fair. So me and my buddy, our junior year of high school, uh, went to the international, the world science fair. Don't be too impressed. It really wasn't that great of, a, of an, an experiment. We did, an, we did a study on uh, the differences or the effect that being that birth order, what order you were born had on your personality. And that was just when those kind of studies were starting to become popular. So we rode that wave all the way to the World Science Fair. Long story short, we made it to the World Science Fair, which was a big accomplishment, and we just got crushed (laughs) at the World Science Fair. I mean, we just got crushed. We didn't do very well at all, but that's okay. We made it there. And so coming into our senior years, me and my friend planned on doing an additional experiment. And uh, we came up with this idea based on some cutting-edge research, research, that we thought would just be spectacular. I mean, we thought that we would be a shoe-in not only to make it advance so far as the World Science Fair, we thought we actually had a good chance of making some noise. And I'll tell you what it's about. Again, nerd alert here. But, you you know, now, when you buy maybe a bottle of soap, I don't know if you have this kind of soap, like Dial or something, and it's a pump tube. In our shower, we have a bottle of soap, and on that bottle of soap, it's advertising the fact that it has antioxidants in the soap. Who has heard of antioxidants before? Okay, it, it adver- we advertise the um, the healing effect of antioxidants in our soap, in our drinks, in all sorts of things. Now, this was back when this was starting to be the craze. And so, long story short, we did this experiment about the effect of antioxidants in flies. Yes, we grew our own flies. And then, and then, this is the best part. 
We radiated them in an x-ray. It was awesome. We went to this place and we're like, zap them, please. And they just got zapped. Uh, long story short, we thought we had, and, and the results were actually good. It demonstrated that certain antioxidants really did have a healing or preventative effect on radiation and cancer. And we were like, we are golden. You know, we are going to make it far. Long story short, we go to our local science fair. This is the very first level, right? The first rung with all of the losers we thought. We we're like, this is this is going to be a breeze. So um, guess what, what we placed in our local science fair? First? No. Second? No. Third? No. We didn't even place in our local science fair. And literally, we were like, how could this be? We were devastated. We were devastated. We had put time and effort and money and all sorts of energy and expectations into what this project would be. And I, I recall I recall it as clear as day. I'm walking out of the arena, if you were, where the science fair was being held, and I have my, my project board. If you've seen a project board, you know what I'm talking about. I'm holding my project board, and I am just steaming. Oh, my. I was so angry because somehow... God had done us wrong and everybody else had done us wrong and I was just furious. And so I sat my board down and I opened my trunk and instead of putting the board nicely, neatly into the trunk as it should have been, guess what I did? I just started wailing on it. Again, this is bad light when I was 18 years old. Wail, boom, bap, kick, throw. And I probably said some things I shouldn't have as well, but uh, I, I destroyed this board. It was just done to nothing. And then I gathered the pieces, I threw it in the back of my trunk, and I was just furious. And little did I know at that point that I was actually tangibly, physically destroying something that had become an idol for me. I, it had become my hope, my, my joy, my prize, and uh, I destroyed it. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to hear about another young man who was uh, about 20 years old at this point in 2 Kings 22. And this young man's name was Josiah, King Josiah. Uh, and he, uh, unlike mine, had a fit of rage, but his anger was holy anger. His anger was not self-centered anger, but was holy angered, not aimed at a losing project, but aimed at the idolatry in his land. And he is going to have a holy anger of a fit and go about destroying all of the idols that lived in the southern part of what was then called Judah. And so let me catch us up. In 2 Kings 22, here's the scenario. Here's the context. The northern kingdom, at that point, Israel proper had been divided. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been exiled. They had been exiled away. They had been taken away because of their disobedience, because of their idolatry. God says, out you go. You're conquered. And so then there's the southern portion of the land, and it was called Judah. And Judah had undergone a series of really bad, really evil kings. If you read through the account of First and Second Kings, primarily Second Kings, what you'll find out is it's just like one bad king after the other bad king after the other bad king. They did evil on the side of the Lord and they brought in all sorts of idolatry, all sorts of pagan practices, all sorts of child uh, sacrifice, all sorts of sexual perversion, all sorts of idolatry because of these succession of evil kings. And, and in addition, they ignored God's law. They ignored what God had to say about idolatry and what they were supposed to live. And so this is the context in which we find our, ourselves in 2 Kings 22. And what I want you to see, hopefully you've got your little outline with you if you want it. You can jot down some notes. That is going to be used in a little bit as we have some interaction going forward in this sermon. But basically what we're going to see from this text is five steps. I want us to see a five-step process that King Josiah 
took to bring uh, the nation of Judah back to worshiping Yahweh, back to proper worship, and the process that he took to destroy the idols in his lives. It's a five-step process, and so we'll jump in with number one. The first step that we see from King Josiah is that he and the nation rediscovered God's perspective. That is, they rediscovered God's perspective on idolatry. What did God think about idolatry? Now, uh, verses 1 through 10, we're just going to read verses 8 through 10. So let me summarize what has been going on. Under previous kings, again, there were bad, evil kings, unfaithful kings. They desecrated the temple where God worship of Yahweh was supposed to happen. And most likely, they either destroyed or uh, tried to get rid of the copy of God's law, most likely the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And so this is a really bad time for God's people at this point. And so Josiah is a good king. He sought the Lord and he wanted to restore worship of God. And so basically what he does in verses one through seven is he sets out this building project. He wants to restore the temple. It's been desecrated and he sets out uh, on this building project. And in the process of this building project, he, actually the high priest, discovers the Bible. <laughs> they discovered the law, the book of the law, most likely the first five books of the Bible. It had been lost. They didn't know where it was, and so they discover it. Let's read just the tail end of uh, section verses 1 through 10. Uh, let's start reading in verse 8. <clears throat> Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, probably like a secretary of state, went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. That is, some business. They're repairing the temple. And so he reports the business first, and then he reports to the king this discovery. Verse 10, Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And so the first thing I want us to see in verses 1 through 10 is that Josiah goes about rediscovering God's perspective on idolatry. Just think about it. It had been years, it had been many, many years before anyone in Israel, especially the king who's supposed to lead the people, had heard God's law. They had not heard, most likely, nobody in that generation had ever heard any of the first five books of the Bible at all. They had most likely been lost. And so they're rediscovering what God had said about idolatry and how they were supposed to live in the land. They rediscovered God's perspective on idolatry. I mean, think about it. Think about the king, and he's just sitting and listening to the first five books of the Bible being read. And you come to Exodus 20, when God essentially says, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shouldn't make any idols. And King Josiah says, what? (laughs) Really? I didn't know that. And then you keep reading, and you get into books of Deuteronomy, and this is my paraphrase. And God says basically things like, if you worship pagan idols, I'm going to tear them down and cast your dead bodies on them. And he's like, oh, this is not good. (laughs) We're not doing what we're supposed to do. Really? That's what worship of Yahweh really looks like? It's supposed to be exclusive? It's supposed to be that? And then they continue to read, and God says uh, later in the book of Deuteronomy, when you get into the land which I'm going to give you, you need to tear down and destroy all of the idols, all of the sacred places. Get rid of them because they'll pervert worship of me. And he's like, Oh man, (laughs) we have completely lost God's perspective on idolatry. And so the very first step is that we too, like Josiah and the nation of Judah, we need to first rediscover 
God's perspective on idolatry. To put it maybe in a bit of common common day language, this is what it would be like. Let's say you went to Grace Bible Church, you're going to Grace Bible Church, and let's say you've been here for 20 years. Let's say you've been going for 20 years, and one day, hopefully it's not me, let's make it another pastor, <laughs> another pastor uh, is is back and he's you know looking around the baptistry. Let's say he's looking for something back here, and oh, he discovers something. And he looks and he says, what is this thing? And he, blow, he blows it off and it says, Holy Bible. And he's like, what is this? And he starts to read it. And he, and he says, oh my gosh, we're supposed to think of this about Jesus Christ? We're supposed to think of this about X, Y, and Z? Oh my gosh, that's what it would be like. They had completely lost any perspective on what it was to worship God. And so first and foremost, we rediscover God's perspective on idolatry. And so my prayer for us, applicationally speaking, has been this. I hope that during these 13 now weeks of talking about the subject of idolatry, I hope that God has used these sermons to do that. I hope our eyes have been open to what idolatry really is. I hope that we don't just consider it to be a peripheral issue, something that we don't struggle with. Hopefully we've come to understand new truths about what it is to worship God and to flee from idols. Here are five things that I'm going to throw on the screen. I think they're coming up. Five things. There are a lot of things that hopefully we learned about God's perspective on idolatry. Uh, But here are five. Hopefully five things that we have learned. Number one, we are always worshiping. We saw that in our very first series. We were created in God's image as worshipers. We were created to give ourselves in worship to God. The fall calls us to give our worship to ourselves and to other things, all sorts of things and people and places. And so I think uh, the biblical perspective is that we are always worshiping. It's just a matter of what. We're always giving ourselves to something. It's just a matter of what. It's just a matter of who. We are always worshiping. Number two, we worship idols too. Hopefully we've come to understand that idolatry didn't didn't just happen 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago or 500 years ago, but that idolatry as God defines it still happens in our hearts, in our lives, in our schools, in our stadiums, and in our homes, and in our hearts, and in our jobs. Hopefully we are beginning to see that idols potentially could be anywhere. Number three, hopefully we are beginning to, to discover that anything can be an idol. Anything can be an idol. Anything that we set in our, our, our heart's affection, anything that we uh, obey over God, anything that we trust in to save us over God, anything can be an idol. And in particular, what we've seen, I mean, take a look at this list. Children, our identity, <clears throat> money, work, family, pleasure, romance, acceptance. Hopefully what we've seen is that most oftentimes, idolatry doesn't come in at least most Christians' life over sinful issues, but we idolize that which is good. We idolize that which is not inherently bad, but we make a good thing a God thing, and it becomes our idol. Hopefully we've learned that. Number four, anything that we love more than God is our idol. That is, what is it that we want the most? What makes us happy when we, when we wake up in the morning? What satisfies our deepest cravings? What, if, what do we daydream about in our... Um, unsolicited and, and uh, moments where we just think about what it is that we want. What do we, what do we dwell about? Idol, idols are anything that we trust in. That is, we seek for them to deliver us. And so food can be an idol when we seek for it to deliver us from our anxiety, from our stress. We've talked about all of these things. Anything we obey, that is, when we obey someone or something else and their desire over what God says, then it's idolatry. And so if you're in a relationship, uh, young people, and, and, and you are uh, having sex with your young uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, you are in a sense worshiping that boy or girl because God says, this is preserved for marriage. It's a holy and good and lovely thing, but you are setting up that boy or that girl as an object to be obeyed. 
and you are worshiping it. Number five, idols can deliver. We talked about this at length last week. Idols just cannot give us what we want. And so my hope is that we have learned a little bit of something about idolatry, that we have rediscovered to God's perspective on idolatry. This is what we're going to do. We're going to have four meditation times. And so do this. Grab this sheet with me. Grab a pen if you have it right now. And I'm going to lead us just in a time of reflection. Number one, the first step is rediscovering God's perspective on idolatry. So take a pen out and do this. A couple of things I want you to work on. During this series, if God has revealed to you some of the idols that you may struggle with, what I want you to do is just write them down. Don't look at your spouses. Don't look at your kids. Don't say, oh, you might want to add this one. (laughs) Just focus on you. What are some of the idols that you struggle with? And then secondly, what has God revealed to you about idolatry this summer? How have you rediscovered God's perspective on idolatry? We'll leave up, if we can, guys, the five things that we uh, talked about. Uh, Maybe it's one of those. And so take a few minutes to do that. We'll have some music playing, and then we'll reconvene in just a quick minute. So hopefully you've been able to at least identify some of the things that you might consider idols and articulated some of the things that you've rediscovered about God's perspective. Number two, first of all, not only did Josiah rediscover God's perspective, but number two, he repented of his idolatry. He repented of idolatry. Let's read verses uh, 11 through 13 where we see Josiah's response. Verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, what did he do? He tore his robes. He gave the orders to Hilkah the priest, Akim son of Shaphan, Abkor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah, Isaiah the king's attendant. So this is what he told them to do. Go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all of Judah about what is written in the book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those uh, who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that has been written accordingly. And so the first thing I want us to see is not only did they, when they rediscovered this is what God thinks of idolatry, they fell down in humble repentance. Notice what he did, the action that he took. He tore his robe, he tore his garments, if you will, which is an an outward sign of an inward grief. Verse 19, as we're going to read in a bit, says that he cried, that he wept before God because of his sin, his idolatry, and the people's idolatry. And what we find out in verses 14 through 19 is he sends these guys and he says, go inquire of the Lord. Go find a prophetess and see what God has to say. And so they do, and they find this prophetess, and essentially what she says is, um, it's too late for Judah. I'm going to exile the people of Judah. It's too late. But because you repented and because you humbled yourself, you won't see the exile. Basically, I'm going to spare you. And we see this in verses 19 and 20. Verse 19 says this. This is what the prophet says. Because your heart, notice, notice his response. Because your heart was responsive. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard that it was spoken against this place and its people that they would become a curse and and laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I'm going to bring in this place. And that's essentially what happened, is that they were not exiled until Josiah passed away. And so what I want us to see is that this is the next step. We rediscovered this is what God thinks about idolatry. And the next logical step is for us to fall on our knees and cry and weep and tear our robes and say, God, I am an idolater. God, I have committed idolatry. And so here's a tough question for me and for you. 
Are we as broken over our discovered idolatry as Josiah was over his discovered idolatry? I mean, are we really repentant? I mean, is it a heartfelt cry out to God, tear our robes, weep before him because we have offended a holy God and we're not worshiping him when we're trusting in other things? Is this the response of our hearts this summer? Is this your response Is it of true repentance of the idols that you just listed that you and I serve? You know, I had a conversation with a a couple in the midst of this series, and it was a a fruitful conversation. It was very good. We were talking about uh, the idol of money, I guess, that particular week. And long story short, one of the couples said, you know what? She started going on about how they were like, oh, yeah, this is good. This is, oh, that really is an idol. And they started talking amongst each other, probably during the sermon. And then as we were talking about it later, and they were like, my my brother or my sister, this person, they really struggle with idolatry. I mean, this is what they've done in X, Y, and Z. And they were going on and on about it, probably during the sermon. They're like, man, so-and-so really needs to hear this. And so, and I thought to myself, I didn't say it, and I probably should. What about you? <laughs> like, are you convicted over idolatry? What about you? Do you serve the idol of money? And they kept going on and on about how other people serve these idols. And I want to ask you, how have you responded to this sermon series? I mean, have you walked away hopefully saying, well, that was a really good sermon, or, well, that's an interesting way to think about it, or, boy, my husband, if he would just stop worshiping the idol of work, or my spouse, if she would just stop doing, you know, have we, have we responded that way? Or have we all together refused to face our idols? This is my prayer, that we would not refuse to face our idols, that we would not refuse to see, boy, my heart is an idol factory, and I struggle with these things. They're not just habits that I need to fix. They're gods that I need to replace. They're gods that I need to replace. Um, Hopefully, we just don't refuse to face our idols. A couple days ago, um, I was holding my son, and he said... Uh, well, I don't, I don't know what the context, but I, I picked him up, I picked him up and I put him right here and I, and I felt this sensation on my arm. And you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. It was warm and wet. And I thought, Asher, did you go potty? And he looked at me and he said, no. <laughs> and I said, Asher, did you pee your pants? No. And I kind of felt, and it was certainly wet and soaking. I said, Asher, did you did you pee your pants? No. <laughs> Asher, did you go potty? No. He refused to acknowledge the simple truth that he was soaking wet in his own pee. <laughs> he refused to acknowledge it. And I asked him like four times, and he said no. My prayer is that we don't act like this with our idols. That God doesn't look at us and say, are you an idolater? And we say no. No. So for our second meditation time, I want you to do this. I want you just to spend a quick moment in prayer, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, asking God to give you and to give us a true heart of repentance, not just to identify our idols as we have, but to turn from our idols and to truly be sorrowful for our idols. So I invite you at this point, we're going to throw some music on, pray and ask God to give you a a repentant heart. So thus far we've seen... We've rediscovered God's perspective. We've repented of idolatry. Number three, Josiah renewed his commitment and his people's commitment to God. Verses 23, 1 through 3. Let's read that together. Then the king called together all of the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing, all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant. 
in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments, his statutes and decrees with all of his heart and with all of his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all of the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Essentially what happened is Josiah said, oh my gosh, we are idolaters. We want to repent and be broken over that idolatry. And then they just simply said this, God, we want to renew our commitment to worship you alone. We want to renew our commitment to the covenant as it's outlined in the first five books of the Bible. And so simply this, the third step for you and I then is not only to say, wow, we are idolaters. Wow, God, I'm humbled and broken. But to say to God, God, we want to worship you alone. It's, a, it's an act of the heart. We want to recommit ourselves to ridding ourselves from idolatry. And so let's do this again. I want to give you just a few moments in prayer, and I would ask that you would express your desire to God to worship him alone. Ask him to continue to reveal idols to you. Ask him to continue to give you a deep uh, desire to worship him alone and to recommit yourself to serving him. So let's do that very quickly. So thus far, we've rediscovered God's perspective. We've repented of idolatry. We've renewed our commitment to God. And fourth, what we see Josiah doing is that he tangibly took steps to remove and to rid the land of its idols. We see this if you read through the text in verses 4 through 20. And then basically what we find is a summary text in verse 24. I invite you to read this. We're not going to read the whole of the text. But go home, read that section, verses 4 through uh, verses four through 20. And what you'll find out is a detailed description of how he physically, tangibly, went through the land and said, that must go, that must go, that idol must go, no more worshiping this God, no more doing that, no more sacrificing kids, temple prostitutes have to go. And he physically removed the idols from the land. And so the fourth step then is that we would do this, removing idols from our land, if you will. Let's read verse 24, the summary of what Josiah did, verses, uh, verse 24 of chapter 23. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of all the mediums and spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and in Jerusalem. Thus, this he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. And so in short, the point that I want us to see is this. It's not enough to say, wow, we worship idols. Wow, I'm heartbroken over that. God, I don't want to do this anymore and stop at that. It's not enough to do that. What they did and what we should do is to take tangible, physical uh, steps to remove the idols in our lives. And so in this meditation, I want to challenge you to do this. Look back, pull your list out. Look at the list of possible idols that you struggle with, that you wrote. Take a look at that list and pick one. Pick one of those. Maybe you feel like it's the strongest one in your life. It doesn't have to be. Pick one of those idols, and, and I want you to do a couple things. This is going to be a more lengthy exercise, although not very lengthy. Number one, pick that idol and first write out two or three ways that that idol affects your life. That is, what does it look like in your life if you worship the idol of food? What could that look like? Maybe it means turning to food instead of turning to the Lord. Maybe it means overeating because you're depressed. I don't know what that looks like, but look at that idol and say, how do I practically, tangibly serve and worship this idol first? And then secondly... And this is the harder one. Write out one step, two steps, maybe three steps that you can take with the Lord's help to practically remove the influence of that idol in your land, in your heart, excuse me, as Josiah removed the influence of idols in your land. So this is what it looks like for me. Before you get started, this is, I want to give you an example. Uh, so number one, 
Uh, one of the idols that I, wor- that I worship and that I struggle with is the idol of identity right over here. That's the box I'm going to be smashing, by the way. We'll get to that in a second. I worship the idol of identity. And what that means is that I, most oftentimes, like many men, I find my identity in what I do. Uh, that is, I'm a pastor, first and foremost. I'm a minister. And if God were to take that away from me, I often wonder how I would do. <laughs> and so this is a struggle of mine. How it affects me? It affects me in numerous ways. Uh, when I get done with the sermon and I'm like... That was really bad. You know, I can I can really suffer with that and say, this is a horrible sermon. Or when I get out of church and I'm like, man, there were not many people here today. And I feel less than a man. <laughs> I feel less than who I am. It affects me in a lot of different ways. And then tangibly speaking, steps to remove that idol in my life. Um, simply, simply saying, I can pray uh, in the mornings, Sunday mornings, and say, God, whether there's 20 people here or 120 people here, I'm going to serve you with all of my heart and mind and strength and not find my identity in that. That's just an example. So what about you? Let's take a few minutes to do those two things. If I'm not done doing that, I'd invite you to take a deeper and longer look. Finally, the fifth step of destroying idols. So let's join back Josiah's world. What they've done is they've discovered the law. They said, wow, we've been doing things wrong. They've repented. They've renewed the covenant. They've physically removed the idols Mission accomplished, right? Right? That's all, I mean, that should be the end of the story. They got rid of the idols. They destroyed them. Mission accomplished, right? Time to go home? Well, no, it's not time to go home because there's a fifth step. And that is not only must we remove the idols from our life, but we must replace the idols in our life. This is the point. If you don't get anything else this morning, listen up. This is the point of the whole sermon. We can't just remove our idols and think that they won't come back or think that they won't crop up in other idols. We can't remove our idols without replacing our idols. And that's exactly what Josiah has done. Idolatry is worship gone wrong. We're always worshiping people. Remember that. Always worshiping people. Always worshiping things. Always worshiping something. So that we can't just rid ourselves from one idol and not replace it with an object of worship. So what we must do is replace our idol with worship of Jesus. With worship of God. And we're going to see that this is exactly, exactly what Josiah did. Let's read verses 21 through 23. This is how the story ends, in a sense. This is how they finally destroyed the idols. Verses 20. 21 through 23. The king gave this order to all the people. Celebrate the Passover to your Lord, to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of this covenant. Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. So what I want us to see is simply this. They didn't just get rid of all the idols and say, well, that's sufficient. We're not going to worship this and we're not going to worship that. But they instituted worship of God in place of worship of idols. This is how it works. I want to read to you a quote from Tim Keller. He nails it on the head. This is what he says in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, we must, we must begin to realize that idols cannot simply be removed. They must be replaced. If you only try to uproot them, they grow back, but they can be supplanted. By what? By God himself, of course, idolatry cannot be remedied only by repenting that you have an idol and using willpower to try to live differently. Jesus must become more beautiful in your imagination, more attractive to your heart than your idol. 
This is what will replace your counterfeit gods. If you uproot the idol and fail to plant the love of Christ in its place, the idol will grow back. And that is the point of destroying idols. Um, I'm not a green thumb, as most of you know, and I've already admitted publicly that there are a set of my plants that I just don't water. I just don't water them. I'm not a green thumb uh, by nature. And, I, and I've learned something this summer. Uh, I've never owned a house and never had to really do anything other than mow grass. But I've learned something. We had plenty of weeds growing up in our plants. And so I took almost a whole day, uh, me and Shelly, to, to weed out. This was a few months ago. To weed out all the weeds in our, not a garden, but, you know, in our nice plants. And it was hard work. And we uprooted them. And I knew enough that I needed to, like, spray some kind of weed killer afterwards. And so I had, uh, you know, weed killer. And I sprayed it, sprayed it. And then it ran out. And I couldn't finish the rest of my plants. And so I thought... What's the big deal? It's really not that big a deal, you know? Like, I just don't need to go back and redo it. So I left it alone. And then about a month or two later, I was walking uh, out from my car, and I, I looked at the area that I had sprayed, uh, uh, you know, weed stuff on, and guess what was there? Weeds, of course. You are like, you are a dummy. <laughs> Why did we hire him? <laughs> uh, yeah, there were weeds there. And I was like, oh, man, are you kidding? Um, and, and so it's a simple point, but and what I should have done is like planted grass or just sprayed stuff. But that's the point that Keller's making is that we can't just uproot weeds. They'll grow back. We have to replace them. And so this is what they did. And they did it by, ex, by uh, performing the Passover. If you're familiar with the Passover, it's the story in the Old Testament. God's people were in slavery. They were in bondage in Egypt. And the Passover basically celebrated God's saving event. He redeemed them and he brought them out through Moses, a mediator, into the promise land to be his special people. And that was what the Passover was. They slaughtered lambs and they ate all sorts of things. And it was a reminder of what God had done for them in the past. And they replaced worshiping idols with worship of God. And so this is what we're going to do to close our service this morning with a couple exercises. Uh, We're going to do a couple things that symbolically will help us to remove our idols and to replace our idols with the worship of Jesus. And so step number four, the first thing we're going to do, I'm going to invite you to do this, is to remove the idols of our life by we're going to come to the stage much like we do as we take communion i'd invite you to get in line be with your family and what i'd ask you to do is to think about the steps that you just wrote down think about the steps that you want to take to commit to the lord and saying these are the things that i'm going to pursue to get rid of my idolatry one of the things that i would like to do to get rid of my my idolatry is to finish reading this book when people are big and god is small overcoming peer pressure codependency and the fear of man i've read one chapter and and it's extremely helpful this is one thing that I'm going to try to commit to do to destroy my idols. And so think about those things that you're committing to do to destroy your idols. And I invite you to come up in an orderly fashion, pick the idol that maybe you struggle with most, take one of these mallets and destroy it. Have fun. Please be careful. Parents, if you don't want your kids to do this, tell them not to do it. We don't want any crack skulls or anything like that. Let's, let's do it in an orderly fashion. And so uh, think about it. Make it a prayerful experience. Um, consider what it means to destroy those idols in your life. Uh, and then finally, what we're going to do is I'd invite you, after you have done step number four, you've removed your idols in a symbolic way, what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. And so as you've noticed, there is communion up on the stage. There's the bread, which represents the body of Christ, and the blood, which rep- uh, the wine, which rep- represents his blood. And I invite you to replace your idols with Jesus Christ. It's significant that they took the Passover, because the Passover is a wonderful picture of what we celebrate 
when we take communion. Uh, we celebrate our Passover lamb. They killed lambs and they, split, they spread the blood over their doorposts and God passed over judgment for them. We have the greatest Passover lamb of all, Jesus Christ, whose blood we celebrate, whose uh, blood, if you will, uh, was smeared across us so that God's judgment is averted. We indeed were rescued from uh, slavery as well. Not from physical slavery, but from slavery to sin and to Satan and death itself. We were enslaved and God through Christ has redeemed us out of that. And so what we're going to do is take communion. And what I'd ask that you do after you destroy your idol is come, come to the bread and come to, uh, come to the juice and just offer up a quick prayer. Offer up a quick prayer to Jesus, thanking Jesus for what he's done, telling Jesus that you want to worship him over your idols and that he is satisfying and good and make it a good experience. And then when we're all done, we'll sing a song of commitment together. And so we're going to throw in some music. I'd invite you just to have a quick time of prayer, preparing yourself to do that. And then in an orderly fashion, we'll come forward and and, uh, remove our idols and replace our idols with Jesus. We're going to close this morning uh, with the very last line from the book of 1 John. And I think it's an appropriate way for us to close our series on idolatry. It's a simple admonition that hopefully will be something that we will pursue as a church and individuals uh, the rest of our lives. He writes as he closes his first epistle, 1 John, verse 21 of chapter 5. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. And he closes that way, and so will we. Thanks for coming. See you next week.